Hey, thank you so much for joining us online at Venue Church for another inspirational message from Pastor Corey Cope. If you were impacted by this message in any way, we would love it if you would share it with your friends online. Yeah, real boats rock. How are we doing? The Secret Life of Paul. Has this been a good series? How to leave the past in the past. Last uh, week, I preached a sermon called Behind. As in, if you don't leave this one thing behind, your, what's behind you won't stay behind you for very long. It will keep cropping up. And what we tend to do is we tend to look at our future, and it tends to be extremely limited because of our past. Everyone's super quiet. You know what I'm talking? Because of our past, but also because of the limitations of today. We look at somebody, and we think, if I had they, what they have, and if I had her mom, if I had his wife, if I had their kids, if I had their situation, if I drove that car. <laughs> my, my daughter says to me the other day, because I'm constantly doing this awesome car drives by, she's like, I'd drive that. I'm like, that's what I say. <laughs> if I only had something that I don't have right now, my future would look better than it does. So you got to go back though and listen to that. Am I going to preach that again? You can't make me. All right. Today, what I'm going to do is talk about one question that everything is going to surround itself with here. You can tell that I've got a microscope here, so let me just say that, because somebody's going to be like, that's all that you're going to be able to think about the entire time, unless I identify that it is there and it is here. This thing over here now is called a spotting scope. I borrowed this from a friend of mine who must trust me because it is worth a lot of money. <laughs> but I'm not going to tell you what it's all about yet. The question that I have for you today to leave the past in the past, there's something that you and I are going to have to do. And the question I have for you today is, how big is your life? Is it too big for the small things, or is it too small for the big things? Your life, an area of your life, something in your life, is it, how do you think? How do you see the world? Is it too big for the small things? Or is it too small and wrapped up in small things and you're missing the big things? Paul, uh, this whole series is about the secret life of Paul. Um, before he was Paul, he was Saul of Tarsus and then God changed him and changed his name. And sometimes he does that when you become a follower of Christ, like everything changes. Uh, don't judge Christianity too harshly. If you're uh, joining us online, we have a big audience online. Thank you so much for joining us and thank you for being here. If you don't believe in God, it's cool. Like take it at your own pace. But I think that as we explain the scriptures, you'll find out that the only one who can tell you what your life is all about is the God who created your life and who loves you in insanely enough to send his own son to die for you for your sins. Now, now you might not think your sins are a problem, but secretly, you know that they are. But he's, he's made a provision for you to take care of them and to forgive them. And so in this series here, what I'm not trying to say is that you, your life will have no consequences of the past because it's hard to get unpregnant. <laughs> there are some things that you sow that you actually do reap. And so we're not, you know, like, hey, you know, Jesus can take away. Well, no, you're going to have to work and do what you can do so that he can do what only he can do. Uh, but is the life that you live too big for the small things or too small for the big things? A secret in the life of Paul. He writes to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 6, Dear, dear Corinthians, I can't tell you how much I long for you to enter this wide open spacious life. And then he says something very interesting. You didn't know that this was in here. He says, we didn't fence you in. The smallest you, smallness you feel comes from within you. Now let me just stop there. 
He's saying, we didn't fence you in. Now, now I'll give you some background here. If you didn't grow up in church, even if you did grow up in church, you might not have any idea what I'm talking about. Paul had started a church in Corinth. They had done some things that were kind of sinful in the sight of God. And he was just trying to bring correction as like a spiritual father and say, hey, you guys can't, this stuff can't go on anymore. You can't call yourself a Christ follower and be doing these things. You need to stop doing these things. And so he had sent a very hard letter to them, but it kind of got lost in the years. And we don't have that letter, so we can't really see what he said. But knowing Paul and what he was like, he was pretty tenacious and he spoke his mind. From the stuff that we can read that he said, it was pretty tough sometimes, but it's because he loved people. Now, my dad was tough on me because he loved me. And God can be tough on us in our sin. It's, I mean, look, he wants the best in you. And if you keep going around and ignoring that there's a problem, it just becomes bigger and bigger. And that's not what a loving father does. And so he's prepared a way to deal with all of these things. And so uh, Paul, had what he had done is he had written the Corinthians a letter rebuking them strongly about some things. Um, And they're pushing back like we do when we're small-minded. We push back against things like correction and against things like direction. Even when we know that they're probably right, we just push back. And they're pushing back against him personally. Next week, you're going to love that I'm going to talk about how, to, how do you defend your measure? How do you defend your own parameters when people attack them? And are you the one deciding your own parameters? You're going to love it. But in this one here, they're pushing back against him and saying, what gives you the right? And, and I'm going to go into next week what they really said about him personally. Like, we don't like the way you preach. I'm not going to preach it. Can't make preach it. But they're feeling like he's fencing them in. Have you ever felt like that? Like this situation, he, she, mom, they're fencing me in. I can't be me. I can't be who I need to be. I can't do what I want to do. I can't fulfill my destiny because somebody or something outside of me is fencing me in. And these guys are thinking this about Paul. And he says, I can't tell you how much I long for you to enter this wide open spacious life that I'm living, he says. We didn't fence you in. You know his past. He was like the best of the best in religious circles, but he missed Jesus somehow completely, which happens all the time. He said, I can't tell you how much this life is different from that life. But he says, we didn't fence you in. The smallest you feel comes from within you. Huh. I didn't think to look there. It's just easier to blame it on you all. And if you would do this, and if I could drive your car, and if, and if, and if, you'd all be nice to me. He's saying, the smallness you feel comes from within you. Just put that on the back burner of your heart. He says this, your lives aren't small, actually, but you're living them in a small way. I'm speaking as plainly as I can and with great affection. Open up your lives, live openly and expansively. I believe that that's what God has for every one of you today. There's something in your life that you're going to leave in here, and you're going to leave behind with the Holy Spirit, and you're going to go out into a wider, more expand, more spacious life where you have more room to breathe. Because we all get tunnel vision, and we all blame somebody else. I was... I used to work on crews, on electrical crews, and we were doing this one. Do you, do you all know what like a, a concrete slab is, but like a structural slab? Above a parkade and underneath a whole uh, building of suites. So it was like uh, condominiums is what we were doing at the time. And in the structural slab, we had a bunch of pipe laid in there with our wiring and our networks for everything, controls to everything. Uh, we got an electrician in the house. We know what I'm talking about. like fire alarm and everything that we were doing, we had it all in this, buried in this concrete slab that they poured. And the concrete slab was about 15 inches deep. 
Um, really tough to drill anything through because of all of the piping and of all of the steel that was in there just layered and kind of crisscrossed all over itself. And um, it was part of my job to, to run crews in there on the electrical side of things, and that's what I used to do um, in my career some years ago. And I came in one time when the building had been going up, and then you end up kind of doing the parkade at the end, and so um, the framing crew was in there framing up the walls in the parkade, and they were standing the walls and anchoring them to this ceiling, which was the next floor of uh, this concrete thing and they were drilling in with a concrete does anybody watch like any television here with building in it because I feel like you're like buildings I don't get it okay this is concrete there's steel there's wiring that make the lights go I still feel like I you don't know what I'm talking about here so I'm just gonna keep talking and you just nod your head. You don't want the person beside you like, what's he talking about? I, I'm not that smart. I'm just saying. Um, and so they were anchoring this, this top plate so that it didn't shift up against the ceiling of that particular floor. And I went in there, and I just noticed that they were in and around our electrical room, which had a lot of piping in it. All the piping was about three feet away from where they were working right then. It was all coming down. And so they're drilling up with a concrete bit with a Hilti, uh, to, to countersink about an inch and a half anchor. That's about all that you do for something like that. And so it's an inch and a half anchor. And I'm in there, and, and after you've been in buildings long enough, you know how long it takes to drill a, an anchor in. And I'm just like, the drill is running an awful lot. Like, way too much. Way too much. So I finally go over there, and, um, and the, the framing crew is pretty good, but they're aggressive because they're framers. They got nothing to live for, so. <laughs> <laughs> I can go out. And, want me to talk about plumbers? I can talk about plumbers. Uh, <laughs> So I talked to this one young, very aggressive guy. I said, how deep are you pushing that Hilti in? And he turns around and he kind of points the drill at me. I'm like, don't point that. And he shows me, and he's putting the whole bit in, like, like six inches, a good six inches. He's just, uh, just, just giving her, eh? And then he pounds a little inch and a half anchor in there, and then they screwed at that. And I'm like, buddy, do you see these pipes just to your right? All these pipes come down, but they all go up, guess where? Where you're drilling, in the slab. And they're all filled with wires that make stuff work. Can, I'm getting the same sort of stare that I was getting then, right? And you know what he said to me? Well, you should have thought about that before I started drilling. I should have thought about that. Where you started drilling. <laughs> what we used to say is everybody gets tunnel vision, so get somebody to check your work. Think about what you're doing. Pick your head up. Look around. Because all you can do is concentrate on one thing at a time. We're guys, right? We're not super complicated. <laughs> what is going on today? It's like I'm talking to... <laughs> we are not super complicated, so we're pretty honest about it. We're open about it. We're, we're in touch with how we feel about that. All right. And so here's the thing, like everybody doing their job is just doing their job, but you're not really thinking. Like I came on somebody who was, who was pushing like six inch screws when they needed like a, maybe an inch and a half screw to put shutters on one time. And I'm like, hey, come around the other side of this here. Do you see all these wires that you're pushing the screws into? It doesn't work when you do that. And he's like, well, it's what came with, with it. It's the box that came with it. I'm like, you know, I guess I should have thought about that before he started <laughs> doing it, right? 
<laughs> we had <laughs> we had one guy. Uh, every every site would have like a hatchet man. So the the general contractor was a quite a big contractor in the province. Um, they would have like a, a super and then a, a hatchet man. Now hatchet men are chosen because of their terrible looks and terrible disposition. Um, <laughs> They just need somebody, I'm getting cheap laughs here, but if you would meet him, you would understand. Like, probably okay at what he does, but his main bargaining chip was anger. <laughs> and so he would keep everybody in line just basically by screaming at everybody, which is awesome. Um, when you're on a site for like a year and a half, you're just like, oh, his name is Randy. So if there's any Randys in the house, like, just like, Randy, like, seriously, we gotta, we gotta be here for like a year and a half. You gotta quit yelling at everybody. Like, we all know what we're doing. So if you need something, you can just ask like everybody else does. Um, but he liked to yell, and um, one time he he uh, he was kind of um, a wee little man. <laughs> a wee little man was he, and I noticed that maybe it's just me. Like I'm not huge, but I'm not you know. He was like wee, and um, but he had this thing that I didn't have, I think, and it was called little man syndrome, <laughs> and so he just had to make up for it by being like super angry and shouty all the time, and and. This was just who he was, and he was in a kind of a place in his life at the time where he didn't really care what anybody thought, which isn't really a good place to be in. And so um, he calls me up when the job is done, and he, he says, the first thing I hear is, hey, it's me. I'm like, who? Like, the job is done. So I'm not even thinking about the job anymore. That's me. I can just put it out of my head, and it's gone. Uh, the job is done. Quite a big job that we are doing at the time. And I'm like, who is it? He goes, it's Randy. I'm like, ugh. <laughs> and he says, and he says to me, it's a Friday afternoon. And he says to me, "I thought you said that there was no uh, no electrical buried outside of the building." And I said, "Well, yeah, except for the main service, like obviously." And he's like, "Yeah, I hit it." I'm like, "You, you hit it? How do you hit it? How do you hit a main service?" I'm like, "It was ten feet in the ground, buried in concrete. How do you hit it?" He's like, "Well, I hit the concrete, and then I kept drilling, and I hit the rest." With a two-foot auger. Went right through it, right through the middle. We had like five, five pipes in there with, you know, like 20 cables. I don't know. They're all about that thick each. He just went right through them. Then he tried to clean the rest off, and they went through them too. And I'm just like, he's like, why didn't you tell me they were here? Right? I guess you should have thought about that before I started drilling. The funny thing is, this is the same guy that had told me like a thousand times during that job, make sure you're overlaying the print so that nothing is conflicting. Okay, but that doesn't count. You with a two-foot auger, you don't have to overlay anything? It's like, why are you going to tell me that they were here? I'm like, the prints tell you that they're there. It's right exactly where they're supposed to be. Well, you didn't tell me. You didn't tell me. Hmm. Okay, one more story. It's pretty funny. It's about Randy. <laughs> He had a personal assistant, if that's what you want to call him, who was um, a German fellow, about probably about 60 years old, who um, was like pretty calm demeanor because he would have to be because he got yelled at like all the time. <laughs> and so he's this great big German guy though, and I don't know about you, but like I'm scared of Germans a bit. They're like <laughs> kind of strong-brained or something. I don't know what it is. And this guy was, I don't know, he's just not a guy that you'd really want to get mad at you. And he was constantly yelling. I heard him just putting him down, just screaming at him one day. And then finally, Randy walks away, and I walk past. His name was Gerhard, I think. And I walk past him, and he's like, one day, Randy. One day. <laughs> you see, well, Randy didn't know that Gerhard had, had a brother who was like a colonel in the German army, and he himself had worked anti-terrorism his whole career in Germany. <laughs> and now he's working for Randy. 
One day, Randy, one day. <laughs> I hope he never says that about me. I'm just like, man, can I do anything for you? Can I give you coffee? I'll rub your feet. If your feet are sore, it's fine. <laughs> but see, the smallness came from inside of him. And he carried this anger at his life and anger at everybody around him because the, the smallness that he was feeling actually came from inside of him. And nobody tells you how to deal with it when you're the one who's being small-minded. You're the one whose heart is small and cold. And you're the one who's actually making everybody else watch their, you know, you got to walk on eggshells around you all the time because we're the ones who are, what happens when it's coming from inside of us? See, Paul used to, to be that way. And when he's talking to the Corinthians, he's like, I know exactly where you're at because I used to be there. It was different stuff. But the smallness actually came from inside of me. And now I live a completely different life, a wide open, spacious life. That's good. The smallness from inside of me. We do this. We might have everything kind of sorted out, but we do this in, in money management. We just can't get a grip on our finances, but the smallness is coming inside of us. We just like them all too much. I like shopping now. I never used to like shopping. I shop when I don't need to shop. Got this shirt? Shopping. Got a great deal. I'll tell you where I got it. <laughs> I thought I'd wear this camouflage theme because I'm like a huge army guy. Um, no, because I have the spotting scope and it's like, you know, kind of can use it for hunting and stuff. So I'm just going to cross over into the hunting world for a while. But I'm not going to stay there for very long because my hands would get dirty. And that would drive me crazy. I just, ugh, yuck. <laughs> the smallness coming from inside of me. See, I'm feeling like my circumstances and my situation and the people around me are the reasons that my life is small. But it's not really but it's not really. The greatest men and women of all time had the worst circumstance and situation of all time, but they were not small on the inside, and they got over them by the grace of God most of them. They got over it and became something great and freed people. I mean, Mother Teresa, you want to talk about a hard life? Well, see, there was no smallness inside of her. She started with one. She started with one. See, with your life and with my life, you can see through the eyes of a spotting scope, which is this thing. It's like a telescope. I'll explain it in a minute. Or a microscope, which is what this is. Almost like a child's microscope. I'm like, I need a tiny microscope because microscopes are nerdy. <laughs> so you can see through a microscope or a spotting scope, and we all know which one is funner with your life. Now, let me just unpack this a little bit here for all you science nerds. A microscope magnifies tiny things. A microscope magnifies tiny things and blows them up out of proportion. A microscope looks at one tiny situation in your life when you've got so much to be grateful for and makes a huge hairy deal out of it. Living with smallness inside of you just takes your past, and because everything on here is dead or dying. It's not connected to anything else because I can't get anything in there that's alive. So it's dead or dying, and I really feel like this sort of is significant of your past and your current limitations because it's like yesterday and today all rolled up into one. And when we live our lives small-mindedly, what it does is it magnifies things that are small and our vision becomes small. Now, 
My dad set this up, but I tore the tape off because I figured that I had a better plan, but <laughs> it wasn't. All right. Or you can live viewing life through a spotting scope. This is like a, a telescope, but for on the earth here. So what this does is I can see a, a long distance away from here so I can actually see the future of where I'm going and it blows up the future and it blows up my destination so that I can't see the distractions around me and they're not as big as they were when I'm looking through a microscope. But I have to be able to use the spotting scope in a different way. I have to engage completely in it. I have to close the other eye. I have to completely focus in on what God has for me tomorrow and what God has for you tomorrow so that the distractions of the day and the sacrifices of today, the distractions are dealt with and the sacrifices are paid. But in this here, it feels like everything is a sacrifice because the smallness from inside of me blows up things and magnifies things constantly. Now here's the trick. I felt this to say right now, you're all thinking about somebody else and they're thinking about you. So why don't we just save a couple weeks of fighting and think about ourselves here because you can't change them anyways. You've been trying for 20 years and it's not working. Can I hear an amen about that? I think that that was worth something. Now this is, is how Jesus comes to the religious elite of the day. This is how Saul of Tarsus, who, who became the Apostle Paul, but before his conversion, attacked the church and dragged people off to prison and, and was a, an accomplice to murder because their entire life they had taken the scriptures and the Old Testament, which is about God the Father, and, but it says that all the scriptures and all the Old Testament point to Jesus. But because they, they tore apart every tiny little verse and every word and every abbreviation, they tore apart every little thing. When Jesus showed up, they're like, you don't look like this. And he didn't. They had made a bunch of laws and addendums to attach to the real laws of God so that they wouldn't break them. So their intentions were okay, but all of a sudden this became the same thing. And so Jesus comes along and his disciples are walking on the Sabbath day through a field and they're eating the heads of grain. And they're like, you're transgressing the commandment of the elders. And Jesus is like, who cares? The commandment of the elders? I, I'm older. I was here at the beginning of all of this. But see, what they were doing was they were blowing up all these tiny little things and missing the point about it all because that's exactly how they were living. And Saul understands what it's like, Paul now, but Saul, I'm going to interchange those. So you'll cut me a bit of slacker. But he's like, I know exactly what you do. You're blowing up one tiny incident that I had to bring correction to, and you're thinking that I'm trying to keep you from having fun. But I can see what's coming if the behavior keeps going, and it's not fun. And you think I'm asking for a lot, but I'm focused on this. And when I'm focused on this, sacrificing this and giving up this in isn't a lot. And that's how you raise kids too. No, 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 we got to focus our eyes on the prize. Well, I don't get to do what, what Tommy gets to do. Well, in 10 years, you'll have a life that Tommy doesn't have. I'm straight up with my kids. Wi-Fi access. If I feel like it. Listen, listen, listen. But I tell them why. You can't handle access to everything. I can't even handle access to everything. I got people who check out my stuff. Why? Got my eyes on the prize. It's worth a sacrifice now. It's worth giving up my rights now. 
for my kids to be able to have a life that some people never have. Oh, it's worth it though, see? Now, now, now listen here. There's a difference between being small-minded, which is a microscope, and being single-minded. Because single-minded is looking into the future. But being small-minded is looking at the now or at yesterday. If you're small-minded, you will forever be distracted from the cause that could be for the needs of today, for the demands of today. Now, let me walk through the different attitudes here. And this is good if you're taking notes. That a a person who is single-minded has a we-can mentality. It's interesting when I'm looking here, or if you're a Christ follower and God has spoken to you about something that he wants you to do, um, it says that Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega, so like he's the beginning and the end, that's what that means, but it's the middle part that he doesn't really tell you about much. So don't get too worried about the middle part because in, in Christian community and with the help of God, he'll walk you through day by day, but he wants you to be dependent on him also day by day. But a single-minded focus has this sort of an attitude. We can get there. Now, in the middle of the valley, you can't see that, but you saw it when you were back here. Keep moving. Keep moving. If you're in hell, keep moving. Don't stay there. Go through it. And a single-minded has a we can mentality. Actually, I've seen it. I know it. Versus a we can't mentality. Now, now be honest about yourself. You're like, oh, we can't. There's just too much. Because what's going to happen is you're going to have to blow everything up like you blew that thing up, and it's not physically possible. It takes so much energy to do that. But a single-minded focus is we can versus we can't. Now, tell me straight up, when your boss asks you to do something, what do you say? Oh, that got quiet. Talking to somebody. All right. You will always find a reason to magnify problems. You will always find a reason, but it's your reason that's keeping you from being single-minded and focusing on your future. There are all sorts of reasons to blow up negativity. There are all sorts of reasons to become critical and to become a critic, but a critic never actually built anything. Be single-minded. Be positive. You can get there. Listen. You've got the God of the entire universe at your back and your problems are too big? Oh, well, it depends what you're looking through, I guess. Number two, taking responsibility versus blame shifting. Taking responsibility versus blame shifting. See, see, Saul of Tarsus had blamed the followers of Jesus for interrupting Judaism when in fact they were fulfilling it. But he was blaming them. If only you wouldn't, then we'd have more converts. I never see another church as a threat to us. I heard that one time from a pastor. What? Another church is opening in town and it's a threat to me? If it's a church of the devil. Hey, hashtag same team. Are you kidding? I don't care which boat the fish are in. Just get them in the boat. Let's go. People are dying in the water. We don't have time for this. Small-minded. Taking responsibility versus blame shifting. See, you are responsible to get your people where they need to go. So start looking ahead and get them where they need to go. Number three, movement versus rot. 
So if I'm looking ahead, I have to be moving or I'll never get there. But if I'm looking right here, I don't have to go anywhere. And what's even under that slide is rotting anyways because there's no life in it because it's today and yesterday. You feel me? Movement versus rot. Now, when we took our launch team here to, to plant the church, there were some people who couldn't come with us, and I get, I get why. There are some people who just wouldn't. Movement versus rot. And I heard one person say to me, I'm not going to tell you who it is. I heard one person say to me, because there was a struggle in their lives at the time right then as well, and it was a big struggle. And they said, I don't want to be the one left behind, though. So I'm going to do whatever it takes to get there. Yeah. Movement versus rot. Or you can sit there and feel sorry for yourself. But what we did was we challenged people. We said, look, we feel like the Holy Spirit wants us to do this. And for me, I'm like a pit bull. Like, as soon as I feel like God has said something, like, we're doing that. So you want to come or you don't want to come? Like, I'm not going to make you. But if you do, I'll, I'll help you as much as I can. But listen, there are people in Airdrie who don't know about God at all and who never have heard about God. Now, I can't save them all, but I can give one person an opportunity this week. I can give, I'm not happy until every person has an opportunity to hear the gospel at least once and to find out about this great relationship with God. Now, do with it what you will, but it's worth something. Or you can sit where you are in your comfort and get to heaven one day. My version of heaven is going to be a block party full of people with tattoos. <laughs> Let's turn the music up and get to it. Come on. And the fourth thing that happens with a single-minded person versus a small-minded person or mentality is sacrifice versus survival. Now, here's a tricky one, because all we hear all these days is like, you've got to be healthy, you've got to be healthy, you've got to be healthy. Okay, yeah, you've got to be healthy. For what? For you? Or for your people? There's a difference. I've got to get what I need. For you or your people? Because you do have needs, absolutely. As a father and as a husband, I have needs. But why do I get what I want? For me or for my people? So that I can be the best version of myself for you. The best version, the best dad I can be to my daughters. The best husband I can be to my wife. See, but if all I'm trying to do is survive and get mine, which is what happens when we look in the past and the limitations of today. We start feeling like everybody else is stifling us. We get this victim mentality. Right? But if I look into the future, I can sacrifice something today to get there. Because what I know for every single one of you is what is there for you in God is something you can't even imagine. And some of you can't imagine it because you've never actually looked in the words of the scripture. You've never actually listened to a worship song and gone, it's going to be like that? Just a taste of that. And all we see is parts and pieces of God. And sometimes we're too lazy to even look for God. But I know that if you would see it just one time, it would wreck you for the rest of your life. Yeah. And the rest of the sacrifices, you'd laugh at them. You'd be like, oh, it's worth nothing. Who cares? We're going there. I got to drive that in heaven. I got to be with them in heaven. I got to be with him in heaven. Now here, Paul, the apostle, is trying to do a scope swap. Like God wants to do with you and something in your life right now. I don't know if it's your marriage, your friendship, or some relationship, probably. How you handle something, money, how you think about something. And Paul, in this scripture, is going to try to do a scope swap with the Philippian church that he started. 
a scope swap because they were magnifying stupid little things like we do, and they had forgotten that there's this other thing that they need to be looking through. And he says this in Philippians 3, for we who worship by the Spirit of God are the ones who are truly circumcised. Now, history lesson. The people of Israel would circumcise their sons as a sign of a covenant with God. So they were God's special people, but it became warped into this thing of like, I'm special when I circumcise my sons, or when I, you see what I'm saying here? It was, the, they had the cart before the horse there. No, God had already picked them to be special because there's nothing in you that he's like, oh wow, that's amazing. <laughs> it's like, oh my goodness, that girl can sing. You got angels singing all the time and he's just like, or maybe it's these guys, I don't know. <laughs> he's like your, your kid when, when they bring a cute little, you know, drawing to you, you're like, oh wow, oh, like, what is it? I don't know what it is. It's beautiful. <laughs> it's a dinosaur. <laughs> oh. Okay. He says this, for we who worship by the Spirit of God, you've got to understand his audience here, are the ones who are truly circumcised. So he's coming at uh, against his own opinions a few years earlier because he would have said, no, 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 the, the ones who are circumcised are the ones who worship by the Spirit. And he's saying, no, no, we worship by the Spirit and those show who are truly circumcised. So like, it's just the sign of what's already been done. And salvation is just a sign for you of what already has been done. And when you're generous with your people and when you're generous with God, it's just a sign of what he's already done for you, times a billion. And so it's just like you don't have to do it to get saved. Well, there's nothing you could do to get saved anyways other than like switch allegiance over to God. Just like save me, that's it. But all the things that happen after that and the growth after that, it's a sign of what's already been done and already been paid for. You've already been bought at a price, therefore glorify God on your bodies. And so he says, for we who worship by the Spirit of God are the ones who are truly circumcised. We rely on what Christ Jesus has done for us. We put no confidence in human effort. Now here's a guy who used to and could put confidence in human effort because honestly, he was better at everything you are than you are. He'd walk into your life and he'd be better at it than you were. Watch what he's saying. All the things that we're striving for, he's not even valuing anymore. Though I could have confidence in my own effort, if anyone could. Indeed, if others have reason for confidence in their own efforts, I have more. He doesn't like talking like this, but he's talking to people who are thick, and he just needs to put it in very simple terms for them, because he's not bragging on himself. What he's doing is he's treating all the good stuff that he used to do like garbage. Wait for it. I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I'm a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if there ever was one. I was, I was a member of the Pharisees who demand the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault, without fault or so I thought. Everything we had magnified, we obeyed, but we missed the point of the whole thing. I once thought these things were valuable. What do you mean? They're not valuable to keep the law? No, no, no. The law of God is exceedingly valuable. But see, keeping the house rules doesn't make you part of the family. You already were. If you came through the door of Christ, you already are. So keeping the house rules 
and giving because God says that it's good? Jesus backed it up. Doing everything that he told you to do. No, no, no. It's house rules. It's to keep your relationships working. It's to maintain your relationship with God. That takes work. It's to remind you that your life is not about yourself. It is about other people. It is about your relationship with God. Somebody needs to take out the garbage in my home to maintain relationships. When it doesn't happen, things aren't good and mom's not happy. Take out the dang garbage. So that's how it works. No, no, but in keeping the rules and taking out the garbage, all of a sudden I'm a son. Jesus is like, what? No, 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 no. I paid for that. <laughs> I paid for that. You, you feel, okay. We're on the same. But now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else. We get that we're supposed to leave the bad stuff behind us, but what about all the things that you took pride in? Because they don't mean anything to him either. Not if you're trying to buy affection. Counting it all as garbage. This word actually means dung. The stuff you pick up after your dog. He's like, all of that I count as absolutely nothing. Listen, listen so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. I want to, listen, I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I'd sell everything for one moment of that. I want to know and experience him. I want to, I'm not telling you to believe in God. I'm telling you to meet God. I want to know and experience him because in all of the reading of the law and all the obeying of the rules, I had never met the, the fullness of the law. They were right in front of me, the followers of Christ. And I was putting them in jail. I was small-minded. It was on me. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death. Why? Because I've got my eyes on this resurrection that's coming. And anything I suffer now is going to get paid back in people. Anything I suffer now, one look at the face of Jesus without a veil is going to just wash all that away. Won't even remember it anymore. so that one way or another I will experience the resurrection of the dead. Now we're getting into the secret. I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I have already reached perfection. But I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it. But I focus on this one thing. Stop. I focus on one thing. If you had his past, you would need to be able to focus on one thing to keep you from going right back there. Right back in all that shame and pain and control and anger. He says, I focus on one thing. I have found a secret. I found a lever. I found something that moves me enough to get me where I need to be. I do one thing. Thing. Listen, I, do, I focus on this one thing. I'm looking forward to this one thing, this one 
thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. The past is in the past, all the good and bad, and I can't redo it. It's been covered. But what's coming? What's coming? What's coming? He says, I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. Let all who are spiritually mature agree on these things. If you disagree on some point, I believe God will make it plain to you. What he's saying is like, just agree with me, guys, because I can see something here that you can't. Do you want to see it through my eyes? But we must hold on to the progress we have already made. And when we're small-minded, we never hold on to the progress we make because we never make any progress. We just keep going back, and it's just, we just go around the same fight in our marriages. Like, every day, it's the same struggle. It's the same power struggle. He's like, but we got to forget what's behind and press on because our eyes are on something bigger than that. Dear brothers and sisters, pattern your lives after mine and learn from those who follow our example. For I have told you often before and say it again with tears in my eyes that there are many whose conduct show they are really enemies of the cross of Christ. They are headed for destruction. Their God is their appetite. They brag about shameful things, and they think only about this life here on earth. He's saying, don't do it, guys. Don't just think about this life here on earth. It's such a blip on the radar. Don't think about the cost here. It's such a blip on the radar. But he says, you ready? For what he saw that I want you to see today. But we are citizens of heaven. Where the Lord Jesus Christ lives. And we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our Savior. He's saying, that's how I do it. I'm not actually from here anymore. That's why I'm so uncomfortable all the time. That's why it doesn't make sense here. Because I really belong over there. I just haven't been there yet. When I was purchased with the blood of Jesus, all the grace and mercy and forgiveness and compassion of Christ belongs to me. I'm just not there yet. I can pay anything today. I can go through hell and back today for one more person. I can go start a church and then they can kill me and drag my body outside the gates. And I can get up and go back to work because I've got a better vacation property coming up. And y'all can come with me if you want to. There's a pool and hot dogs and everything. You, you can't get fat. All the hip-hop is venue approved? Because I wish. Listen, when Spain led the world in the 15th century, her coins reflected her national arrogance and were inscribed with this phrase that meant nothing further. 15th century. After the discovery of the new world, she realized that she was not the end of the world. So Spain changed the inscription to say, listen, listen, more beyond. And I know people have been sitting in churches with like, this is all that there is. But I'm like, no, there's more beyond. Nothing further. I got it. That's it. I'm happy. I got to go to heaven. And I'm like, no, there's more beyond. Yeah, I'll see you there, but I want you, I want your whole block there. There is more beyond. See, let me tell you about this letter to the Philippians that we just read. See, Paul was actually in jail when he wrote it. The beginning of the letter says he was in chains. Yeah. 
I want you to experience this expansiveness that I have, and you're thinking so small, and you think about all these stupid little things. But he's saying, I'm freer than I ever was. And the heck with the chains. They're not here for that long. There's something further. There's something past this. He would be martyred in Rome for his faith, and he didn't blink an eye, although I'm sure it hurt. I'm sure it was hard for him to be in chains when he's writing letters to try to encourage people with big problems. Or so they thought. You're arguing about who gets to do what to who in church, and I'm in chains. And all the things you're bragging about, I don't even care about anymore. Because there's something further. There's something beyond. There's another life to come that we've got to be working for and working towards and bringing people into. There's so much more than what you're fighting about right now. Get your eyes. You want a marriage that works? Both of you get your eyes on the prize. You want kids to follow Christ? Get them to church. That is awesome. Absolutely. My kids, they wouldn't let me miss church. Well, I'm not really allowed to anyways. They wouldn't let me miss church. Dad, I need a ride to youth. Like, Dad, give me a ride to youth now. I'm going to youth. It's important. I got to be there. I got to be there for my team. These are my people. I got to go. There's something further. There's something going on. And I want you today to forget what's behind you by not thinking about what's behind you. Has it been washed by the blood of Jesus Christ? Has he removed it as far as the east is from the west from you? Then you take a lot on yourself thinking about it all the time, don't you? You doing God a favor? You doing your people a favor? Here's what I know. Just lean in a bit here. Listen. When God says, get up tomorrow morning and be righteous, he actually thinks you can do it. Oh, not in your own righteousness. You'll need the power of the Holy Spirit. Not for you. You'll need it for other people. There's going to be suffering involved, and you're going to need to suffer so that somebody else can get free. You might have a chain on you so your neighbor can get free, and you've got to listen to all the garbage you had to go through in your life. But listen, you pick a few of her chains off of her, and she might get free. And then you take the chains to Jesus, and they're gone. You wake up the next morning. One thing I do, forget about what's behind me. Here we go, Jesus. Let's go. He sees you with an optimism that you have no concept of because you've never looked through the spotting scope and seen what's coming. It is inevitable for a Christ follower. So can we relax about the little stuff and get our eyes focused on the prize and start sacrificing and start giving up our time, giving up our resources to change a world and change a mentality that is so selfish and so ridiculously small-minded that they are missing the most important piece of the puzzle, and that is Jesus Christ and him crucified. That God wants a connection with me. Why? He knows everything about me. Why? I don't know. I'm going to ask him someday, but maybe I don't want the answer, or maybe I won't ask him. All I know is that's where I'm going. Because when all is said and done, all that matters is love. The words of a song we're playing next. So let love take over. 1 Corinthians 13 is the love chapter, and this says, not just in part. It says, when we finally see him face to face, we look now, but it's dim, and it's through a mirror, and you don't really see uh, the perfection that's coming. The grace and abounding mercy of God that can cover everything that you've ever done and everything that you ever will do, if you can keep your eyes on the prize, 
It's not just in part that we want to see God, but in all that you are. Let your love take over. Because Paul said, I know there's a place I belong where I'll see the fullness of love. Listen. A child face to face with my God lost in your awesome wonder. This world is not our home. It's a small thing. That's why you don't feel at home here. Our home is with our God. Hey, we hope you enjoyed this inspirational message from Pastor Corey Cope. If you'd like to partner with us, please go to venuechurch.ca slash give. Yeah, because a life saved is worth everything.